Monday, everybody. Tom and Keith back with you, but in new digs. KJ, welcome to Real Talk 93.3. I wish I could say that uh, my view has improved as we record this, but uh, alas, it's uh, one and the same. How are you, sir? Well, we're still using the primary and bank studios. We're just using them remotely, and I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Well, it's uh, we're happy that uh, Front Row Knowles is, is into its second iteration now. Appreciate uh, the good folks at uh, 93.3. Uh, inviting us over. The podcast will continue. Keith and I will continue to be with you weekly. The uh, new time, 12 to 1 Wednesdays is when we will air. And then obviously you can uh, time shift your podcast accordingly. Keith, you have and you I gotten have gotten used, by the way, have you gotten used to saying terrestrial radio versus podcast versus satellite radio? I don't use those terms a lot, but I will say one thing, Keith, there's only a couple things that have survived technology. One of them is live sports because you can't time shift it. And another seems to be good old-fashioned radio. Now, I know that's, uh, you know, people do have their satellite radio and their podcast, but I, I feel like terrestrial radio, to your point, still around, and, and we're happy uh, for that. I agree, especially with us that might be a little more advanced in our age and a little more stuck in our ways. We won't mention which one of us that is out of the two on this show, but I do want to go here, Keith. You and I have spent a lot of time over the years and certainly over the last few weeks talking about Bobby Bowden, and we reminisced and shared some stories when the family announced that he was in decline a couple of weeks ago. And then we certainly did it again, recorded some videos. And I'm sure you were like me and did a lot of interviews for out of market media this past week to share stories. Now that it's a couple days later, anything else that resonates from conversations you've had with former teammates, questions you've been asked, texts you've received, anything like that? The biggest thing is the reinforcement of something that I previously knew, but I had not really paid attention to. That being, we're blinded uh, forest for the trees because we're in Tallahassee and Coach was in Tallahassee. I've had occasion to travel with him. I've been to New York City. I've been to Orlando. And when you get him out of town and people that don't get the opportunity to be around him when he was traveling, You're just absolutely amazed at the number of people that would walk up to him and want to meet him and want to say hello to him and just want the opportunity to express something to them. So over the last couple of days with text messages and phone calls and his folks are getting ready to um, come to Tallahassee, whether it be for a visitation at the Capitol or excuse me, viewing at the Capitol or the, um, the Moore Center or the services uh, Saturday at the Tucker Center, it just reinforces the fact that we were so blessed and we were so spoiled because he was one of us and the outpouring from the rest of the United States and literally the world uh, just reinforces the legacy that he will continue to have uh, as a man first and a coach second. I shared the story, Keith. Well, I've told it several times and I tweeted it out. I assume I told it here on Front Row Knowles, but that my first ever interview with him was after the spring game in 1989. And I was young and dumb and a student reporter, and I was unable to find wherever the media post game availability was. So when I got there, he was finished, which was not a problem because he stood there and did a full interview with me again, even though there was nobody else left. And I was at that time a freshman and the content was going to air on V89, where probably nobody was going to hear it. And so you walk away from that experience and feel like you're really unique. And then as I looked at social media and talked to people, 
every other media person that had a story to relate had a similar account about how Bobby went the extra mile, invited them in the house, gave them an hour when they thought they had five minutes, returned a call at 11 o'clock at night. Well, or maybe in Bobby's case, it might have been five in the morning since he was an early riser. But you get the point. Uh, it, it was not unique. It, it was a unique experience for me, but it was not a unique occasion because everybody had a story like that. I think Jim Henry uh, with the Democrat, longtime friend of ours, uh, both professionally and personally, summed it up best when he relayed and, and, and stated something that those of us that have been around coach for a long time know that if a reporter asked for some time that he felt he owed that reporter the time. And, and I think that's totally 179 degrees different than how most coaches operate in today's world. But that's just the way Bobby worked. You know, if you were going to write a story, he felt like he owed you the time for you to get your story because any publicity is good publicity. And that was good for Florida State football and Florida State University. If you are new to Front Row Knowles or new to Keith and I, I'll just share that Keith played for Bobby Bowden in the late 70s when Florida State rose to prominence from 77 to 80. And I've had the pleasure of being a part of the broadcast team for this is year number 27, Keith, if you can believe it, and worked at Channel 27 prior to that. So I've covered the program for a long time, and uh, we hope you'll engage with us each and every Wednesday from 12 to 1 or subscribe to the podcast. One last tale here, and this one I just – I was having coffee with my mom earlier this week, and she shared a story, KJ, that she and my dad were in Washington, D.C., and this is 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I don't know how long ago, and I don't know how she remembered this, I guess because of what ensued, but the cab driver, who was from Ethiopia, and she remembered that, asked them where they were from, and they said Tallahassee. They had just moved to Tallahassee, so maybe it was 10 years ago, and he didn't miss a beat, and he said, oh, how's Bobby Bowden, and that... (laughs) just cracked her my dad up lo and behold that that's where he would go but that's how well known coach Bowden was coach put Florida State University on the map and that's no disrespect for anybody that came before 1976 whether it be in athletics or academics or otherwise but he certainly put Florida State on the map and as a result put Tallahassee on the map I mean how how many how many coaches do you know still live in the same house that they bought in 1976. Now, it's a little bit bigger, and it's a little bit nicer, although I'm pretty sure the carpet in the living room is still the same. I don't know that that was ever replaced. Uh, That's only funny if you've ever been in the house. But lives in the same house and and has for all these years and was very proud to be – I mean, he is an Alabama native. He grew up in Birmingham. He'll be buried just outside of Birmingham. But he promoted Florida State and in the – and the coattails of promoting FSU was a huge Tallahassee fan as well. RIP, the legend, what a legacy he left, Coach Bobby Bowden, as you mentioned, services on Saturday at the Tucker Center, and we'll lie in state and then lie in repose on, on Friday afternoon. Again, if you're new to the show, we are joined each week by an Osceola insider, Tonight, it will be Bob Ferrante, who's been out at practice as we shift gears, and Bob will join us next. We'll talk about the new-look Knowles, who have been on the practice field since Saturday. That's when we continue momentarily on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles will continue in a moment. 
Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you. And joining us now is our good friend, Bob Ferranti. He is our Osceola insider who joins us each and every week. Bob, how are you? Doing well, guys. How are you? Good. We just reminisced about Coach Bowden. And though you and I have talked off the air, so to speak, I don't know that uh, you've committed on the air, at least not on Front Row Knowles, uh, as you've digested the news that we all knew was imminent and was going to come. What's What's been your biggest takeaway over the last 72 hours or so? I think that that his players, his assistant coaches, people who knew him really well had a chance over these last few months to visit with Coach. And, you know, at his home in Killarn, had a chance to see Miss Ann and, and, and hug and, and share stories and reminisce. Um, uh, it, it was rough Sunday morning listening to Coach Hagen's and, and as he was doing an interview with us and, and describing his visit with Coach Bowden and how Coach recalled December 1985, that visit to Coach Eldell's home then when he was a high school prospect and talking with his mom, what they ate. Coach remembered what they ate down to every detail on, on the dish. And Odell was just dumbfounded that, you know, here's coach 91 years old recalling every little detail of that visit. And then they talked about games and other things and family. So it, it, it's just, you hate to, to say goodbye to anyone, but I think that, that his guys had a chance to, to see him talk to him and, and share memories is, is um, it, it was really the, the best way that we could have expected to, uh, to say goodbye to coach. Bob, and that was certainly, certainly one of the great things is that, you know, even up until the last days is, is uh, memory. Uh, you know, we use the term faculties. We're all with him. I mean, God really blessed him in that regard. It was his body that gave out on him, not his mind. And I agree with you, uh, Bob, anybody who had a chance to visit with him in the last days, you know, we're, we were all just uh, absolutely astonished at, at uh, how quick-witted he was and what he remembered. It was, it was truly remarkable. And he's always been so giving of his time. I think we've all kind of that's, – that's my biggest memory of Coach is that everybody got a few minutes. Everybody got a photo uh, if you wanted an autograph, you had that too. He, he, he treated everybody like, like you were gold, like you were part of the program. Um, fan, alumni, booster, media member. I mean, in 2009, before the bowl game, guys, he gave everybody on the beat 15 minutes on the golf cart. I was a nobody on the beat. I was, I was freelancer for the Lakeland Ledger. I got 15 minutes on the golf cart with Coach Bowden. And if you can believe this, it was the start of a practice, guys. So here he is watching practice and getting ready for his last game. And he's willing to take 15 minutes with everybody on the beat, not just the major guys. He made time and he answered every question. It was very thoughtful. He didn't dismiss anything. It, it was such a special memory for me to have those 15 minutes, just like I think everybody else has their special memories of visiting coach and Hey, here's my son. Here's my daughter. Here's my family. They, everybody has those memories, and they'll they'll live on forever. I was fortunate enough, Bob, to to do an actual television interview with him at the conclusion of that particular practice, and uh, I got a photo of me and him and Paul Kennedy, which, uh, gosh, 
10 years after the fact, I got him to sign for me. And uh, it's, uh, it's one of my prized possessions because uh, literally that was his last practice before the last game. And you're exactly right. He gave everybody time. We're talking with Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. I encourage you to go to the Osceola.com and subscribe. Many of uh, our longtime listeners know Jerry Kutz from back when he had the, uh, the first iteration of the Osceola, back in Bobby's heyday and the Dynasty's heyday. Transitioning to this year's Knowles, before we get to on the field, Bob, I don't want to overstate this because there's clearly differences, but we're in a world today where coaches do, do not allow much access. And that was, we're just talking about Bobby's accessibility, which was true for him, but also the access he allowed the media for his team in terms of open locker rooms, uh, for media interviews, open practices. The point I'm trying to make is that Mike Norvell is a believer. It seems to come from the, you know, the, or believe in the same philosophy in terms of trying to be as open as possible. He's got practice open. He makes players regularly available. Do you see that similarity? Tons of similarities. I, I think, honestly, it's the best thing you can do for young men, whether they're assistant coaches or, or players. If you're an assistant coach, you want to have that opportunity because it's it's on-the-job media training. Assistants want to be head coaches or position coaches want to be coordinators. Well, how do you do it? And, and honestly, these days, it's it's how you present yourself on social media. It's how you present yourself to recruits, to the traditional mainstream media. Um, I, I think players have, have really been very open and accessible uh, since Coach Norvell has been here. Obviously, a lot of it's been on Zoom, and, and Zoom isn't great but we've had the chance to talk to just about everybody on the roster. I think we've talked to all the 2021 signees before they've even stepped on a football practice field. In many cases, we, we've gotten a chance to meet them, them all and talk about how their transition is to Florida state. Coach Norvell wants the, the media to be able to present the viewpoint of the program that frankly he wants to present to fans. It's you know, coach Norvell says, speak positive about Florida state. And, and that's, that's how it's done. It's through social media, but also through the traditional media, like, like myself, like your radio show, like other shows, TV, radio, internet, and whatnot. On the field, Bob, few practices in. The pads haven't come on yet. Tuesday was an off day. And before we talk about the benefits of going on the road for a couple of days, what have you seen so far that's caught your eye? I think the big takeaway, and this, this may seem kind of duh, to be, to be honest, but Strength and conditioning, a, a full year of having Josh Storms and his staff work with these guys hands-on, not over Zoom or FaceTime or whatever, and telling them what to do. They're showing them face-to-face what to do. They're working with them in the weight room. You're seeing these gains. Uh, you're seeing weight loss at, with certain players, too. The guys that needed to add weight have added. The guys that needed to lose it have lost it. We're seeing better bodies out there. I think that fits in seamlessly with you know, Coach Norvell's offense. He wants to run the high tempo. If you're on defense, you've got to be prepared for the tempo that the ACC offenses are going to show you. The big takeaway is just strength and conditioning. Everybody looks quite good. I, I think we're not going to know a lot about this team after three practices. There are some guys who honestly flash. I think Coach Norvell is overall, overall quite happy. And um, it, it's good first steps with these split practices, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Monday, they've had a chance to really coaches had long days, but in those long days, you've really had more hands-on time. I think with the players, whether they're veterans or the younger kind of freshman types too. 
Guys, another creative spin. We talked about the things that Coach Norvell did on the recruiting trail when there were uh, no visits at home and the things that happened. Here, here's another concept. It's not new, but not very many programs do it. The, the newcomers practice at one point during the day and the veterans practice at another. The rule says you can't have two sessions with the same player. It doesn't say you can't have two sessions splitting your squad. I was very curious when I saw, you know, it was announced it was going to be a split practice. You know, how was he going to split it? Um, what could we read into that, if, if anything? Um, and honestly, for example, Andrew Parchment first day was in the afternoon with the newcomers. I wanted to kind of bring him in a little slower, but, but immediately he was with the veterans the next day. Um, what do you take out of certain freshmen playing, sorry, practicing in the morning with the veterans? You had some early enrollees like a receiver Malik McLean or um, a, a nickel like Kevin Knowles, who's had a really good um, camp so far. Those guys are with the veterans. I think Coach Norvell has kind of brushed that off to don't, don't read too much into it. But I think we're seeing some younger kids, some freshmen who can really be impactful, whether they, they start, back up, play special teams. I think coach has had a really good strategy for how to get a good long look at, at the full depth of the roster and just kind of see where people fit in before he moves into, you know, the Wednesday practice and then into Jacksonville. So speaking of which they're going to practice at UNF on Thursday and Friday morning thoughts on the pros and cons. I don't know that there's cons other than you spend a little bit of money, but uh, it, it must be about team building, I would presume. Or is there a recruiting angle to this as well, getting a presence on the first coast? For sure. There's going to be some booster events over in Jacksonville. I think it's a good chance for you to reconnect with your fans over there. Will recruits be able to show up? I think it's a college campus. So the compliance uh, question is, is probably not one I'm, I'm willing to field definitively. But I think it's just a good chance to interact over there. Coach Norvell has mentioned, too, that you're going to go on the road. You're going to play some big road games. And, and honestly, that Wake Forest one kind of comes up faster than you think. That one's going to be pretty key to start the ACC schedule. So it, it gets you, um, I presume, in a dorm on the North Florida campus instead of a hotel. But even if it's a hotel, you're, you're sleeping away from home. You're, you're going to have a roommate, maybe a couple roommates. It's going to build some team bonding. And I think that's, again, also been another theme is just it feels like this team has gotten closer. And, and that's a positive um, because it, last year in 2020, there were limitations because of COVID. You, you were maybe at times discouraged from having too many uh, in-person meetings, too many film sessions with a lot of guys. You were more of, hey, you know, watch on the iPad back in your dorm room or, your, or in your apartment. And now they really want guys to be together to build that camaraderie and chemistry. So I think this is a good, good thing to do. A lot of social distancing last year that you're not having to do this year. And let me tell you, uh, I know it's 45 years ago that I was there, but I think there are certain things that stay the same. You like being around your buddies and you like hanging out with people that you like, and you don't know whether you like them if you don't hang out with them. So chicken versus the egg, this forces either one of them. Yeah, I think this is one where you have to look big picture. This is good for the long haul for this team. It's a good early season camp. Um, you know, David Coburn's not going to like to have to pay this bill when it comes in. It's not going to be a fun check to write. But in the big picture of building a team, building a program, building relationships, um, does it mean a difference of wins or losses? I, I like to say you're you're 
building friendships and trust and camaraderie, I, I think it's, it's got a lot of value. This is a, this is a really good decision. Bob, in our last minute, speaking of writing checks, we haven't discussed the fact that a handful of assistants got extended and got some raises, most notably Alex Atkins, who has killed it on the recruiting trail and really has, has done a nice job with the offensive line. And clearly it's a sign they don't want him to, to stray. Yeah, I think Florida State did a good job in the offseason, uh, frankly, very quietly uh, extending some of those assistants. Alex Atkins is now through 2023. There are some loopholes there. He could become a, a college primary play caller. He could become a college head coach, an NFL position coach, and get out without a significant buyout. But this is really just securing him for the long haul. It's, it's thanking him for his hard work and the good job he's done on the recruiting trail. Um, and I think these recruits wanted to know that, that, that Alex Atkins was going to be there once they sign, whether it's them signing in December or signing in February. He is Bob Ferrante, our Osceola Insider. We have an insider join us each and every week on Front Row Knowles. We'll step aside and come back with more right after this. Don't turn that dial. What's that? What's a dial? Just don't change the channel. Front Row Knowles will be back right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Come on, Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We appreciate Bob Ferrante from the Osceola joining us. He's out at practice on a regular basis. It is nice that Mike Norvell has open practice. You know, that's he commented on it, Keith, and he, he talked about how assistant coaches, they need that experience too because they want to be head coaches, but the players need it as well. And when you, when you shield them too much, they don't get that opportunity. And that was a big part of the reason why Coach Bowden always wanted to make his players available and accountable, not just after a win. And granted, there was many more wins during the dynasty than there was losses, but in both both scenarios. Well, personal development, the development of the person, not just a football player, was something that Coach Bowden was always keen on. And, and obviously, Coach Norvell has uh, taken up that same philosophy. Uh, you've spent time more. I've done a little bit. I know you've done a lot. Uh, with both football and uh, basketball teams over the last uh, 15 or 20 years where they would actually have you come in and do mock interviews to try to get players ready for things like that. That's very helpful, but uh, there's nothing uh, better than, uh, you know, live bullets with the live media uh, to uh, get you used to doing it. In the NIL era, Keith, it's not insignificant because the NIL is all about exposure and followers and all that. And so it behooves institutions to, to, to push their, their, their product out there, to put it that way, if we're just going to talk in business terms. And so they are helping the student athletes when they do it. I shouldn't bring it up because I don't know the name of the youngster, but, uh, and, and this is just a one-off. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm sure that this, this has not happened a lot, but the, the, quarterback out of Texas that for, uh, you know, forfeited, went, went, went uh, a year early to uh, sign with Ohio State so he could take advantage of some NIL opportunities. I think we're going to see some more issues like that. Obviously, he was a, a different cat because he was the number one rated quarterback uh, in Texas high school uh, at the time. But, you know, we'll, we'll continue to see some things, the unintended consequences, but I'll be honest with you, at least so far, I, I haven't heard anything of major negativity still early, but I haven't heard anything of major negativity. Maybe we'll dodge a bullet on this one. 
Well, now we're into the season, so we can talk about practice and those sorts of things. Quinn Ewers is the quarterback you're talking about, and the Thank Florida you. State Thank angle you. of that is with him moving out of this current class, Travis Hunter has moved up to be the top recruit in the class, and Travis Hunter is committed to Florida State, a great, probably a two-way player, cornerback, and a, a kid that could play receiver as well. Really, really talented kid that Mike Norvell has had committed for a while. Let's go back to, to fall camp, Keith. How much – so they'll have their – they're going to Jacksonville, as we talked about with Bob. Then they'll scrimmage this weekend. How far do you get into camp before positions are won? I mean, I know the quarterback competition, Mike Norvell's not going to announce anything on it until – heck, he might not even announce it before the Notre Dame game. It may be whoever comes out with the offense the first time. But that said, at what point do you need to start having some continuity in there? And granted, the pads are just going on and, and start making some decisions. And how long do you let it play out? You, you typically don't worry about who's first team, who's second team, et cetera, until you, ins you start installing your game plan. And I think Florida State's a good week, 10 days away from actually working on Notre Dame-specific stuff. This is camp, you know, and uh, Jim Henry had a good story in the Tallahassee Democrat uh, a week and a half ago, plus or minus, you know, talking about the differences in the way camps were 20 years ago and 40 years ago versus now. Uh, but I think uh, I think I'm fair. I think I'm accurate when I say that uh, coaches don't worry about ones and twos until they start putting in the actual game plan. Uh, so we're probably a ways off from being you know, even having to worry about that. The talk out of camp so far, some of the talk has been about the wide receivers. And part of the reason for that is because it's a lot of seven on seven. And so you're watching quarterbacks either complete a pass or a DB is making a good play on it. So the guys that are going to stick out are not the guys at the line of scrimmage. They're the skill guys one way or the other. But Keyshawn Helton, it's been pretty consistent that, that uh, his, his speed appears back. And I'm not going to exaggerate or, or get to hyperbole here that Florida State's suddenly going to have this world-class receiving core. But if he is back to what we were seeing before he got hurt, and if Ontario Wilson is stepping forward a little bit, and if Andrew Parchment actually uh, can be a, a true number one receiver. And if we'll see how it shakes out, whichever quarterback it is, if the ball comes out on time and is in a catchable place, the passing game could make a lot of strides this year. The knock on last year's group was their inability to catch the ball. There were far too many drops. I think if we were to look at things critically, uh, we knew that uh, Keyshawn wasn't 100% coming off of the injury. You knew that there were issues with Tamari and Terry. And as a result, that entire segment was a little bit bogged down. Well, you don't have any of those issues this year. They showed through spring ball that they were pushing each other. Uh, there is a competition for playing time, for snaps, for balls. And that's what elevates a segment group. So last year's group was hampered by lingering injury, maybe a bad attitude or something of that nature, at least not a great attitude. None of those issues appear, at least in the early going, to be issues relative to this group. And I think Dugans and, and, and uh, Dillingham and Coach Norvell uh, are pleased with the progress that's being made. A lot, lot more needs to be made. Work ahead, as they say. But I've been impressed with what I've seen and heard from that particular segment here in the early going into spring practice. What may be the best position group on the team, though, is the defensive backfield. And we've heard that for a few years because of how many DBs have been on the team. 
maybe this is the year that that comes to fruition, Keith, your former position. Or it certainly group. is. Yeah, it's a, certainly a group that you would look at and say is probably more talented. There may be a similar number of bodies that were there a year ago or even two years ago. Uh, but th- th- in terms of individual talents and more importantly, I think they all understand that just given the way offenses are in the college game today, you're going to be playing the bulk of time with five defensive backs and occasionally with six versus the standard four. So there's a 25% more playing time available to that fifth person and maybe a little bit more for that sixth person. And again, I go back to my earlier comment with the wide receivers, now with the defensive backs, when you're having to compete for your job every day, not just competing against who's in front of you, but competing for the person that's pushing you for that playing time, it makes the entire segment better. We'll start to know more about the trenches here in coming days as Florida State gets through padded practices and gets through their first scrimmage. Are you optimistic that Florida State is going to be improved on both sides of the line of scrimmage? Well, I I am optimistic they're going to be improved on the defensive side. I thought that there was plenty of talent there last year. It just didn't perform. I think there's a similar amount of talent, particularly with uh, the the kid coming in from Georgia, uh, Johnson. I think they're a better talented group on the defensive side. My, my fallback, and our listeners will chuckle underneath their breath, but my fallback on the offensive side is that because of injuries and because of things that happened last year, there's absolutely no way that group can be worse. You know, they're, they're going to be better. The question is how much better, and I don't mean that as derogatorily as it sounds, but there were just some other things going into what was happening last year that made the offensive line handicapped a little bit and so far through spring and hopefully through fall camp you haven't seen those types of other than issues come into play you say that but the run success rate was actually much better maybe because of Jordan Travis and his escapability so that does lead to the question of if they're not markedly improved there and Mackenzie Milton's the quarterback is the run success still there Well, there's always two things about the offensive line. A running back can make a poor offensive line look good, and a mobile quarterback can make a good offensive line look great. So it is a product of of what's behind them. So uh, I'll accept that as criticism of my comment, but I'll just remind everybody that uh, a Dalvin Cook, a Defonte Freeman, a a Travis Miner, a Warwick Dunn, a Sammy Smith, can make any offensive line look better than they would be absent those types of players. And then there's the linebacker question, Keith. That's been the another bugaboo. The offensive line has caught most of the flack, but the linebackers, just think back, we're opening against Notre Dame. The Notre Dame game last year, even though Florida State hung in it, the holes were as wide as the football field that Notre Dame's running backs were, were moving through. And I think that's the lasting image maybe that's – and the Louisville game wasn't great either – That that sticks with me as I, as I think back about some of the gap responsibility or integrity that wasn't there a year ago. Well, I, I again, remind everybody, myself included, that there are certain things you ask of defensive linemen that allow linebackers to get notoriety. And if those defensive linemen aren't doing what they're supposed to do, the linebackers can't do what they're supposed to do. Now I will agree that the linebacker play has suffered and there needs to be an elevation of that unit. 
But again, they're not just in isolation. If that defensive front isn't performing well, the linebackers are not going to perform well. I don't care how good they are. Can I tell you what position group was not very good last year, but it didn't matter? Kickers? Yes. And if we're of the mindset, and I am, not that Florida State is going to be 12-0, and but that Florida State will be improved and will be in a lot of pick em games. Those kicks become a little more significant when you're not down four scores, if you know what I'm saying. I hear you. I hear you. In fact, you remind me, there was a clip or a group of clips that came out right after Coach Bowden's passing, and our listeners that are old enough may remember that he was on the uh, Tonight Show with Jay Leno after the 93 National Championship, and he had one of the greatest lines because they showed a highlight of Nebraska attempting that last-minute field goal that they missed that allowed Florida State to be victorious. And, and Coach Bowden's line was perfect Bowden. He told Jay Leno, he says, you know what? I've learned, I've learned that wide left is better than wide right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw that clip too, and it, it was perfect Bowden. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Coach Bowden and – uh, thanks again to Bob Ferrante, who joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. But uh, more thoughts straight ahead. We are happy to be uh, in our new home, at our new home, 93.3 Real Talk Tallahassee. Stay with us. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Don't go anywhere. Front Row Knowles will be back right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith back with you as we finish up. Keith, earlier or, or late in the day on uh, Tuesday, actually, I think I saw the news. I'm not exactly sure what this means, but uh, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips has been selected to the NCAA Constitution Committee, and he offered a quote about it. Now, I'm not sure what exactly the purview is, but if he's creating new rules, I would suggest that he simply create a rule that conferences with 16 or more schools in the league are ineligible for postseason play. Can we get that one passed? (laughs) I I like the way you think. No, I don't think they will, but I like the way you think. (laughs) I'm just throwing out alternatives here for the ACC. I'm going to use an analogy that may only speak to a few of our listeners, but, you know, when Citizens Insurance Corporation was established in Florida, however many moons ago, to take care of homeowners insurance for Floridians, it got a number of policies in, and for whatever reason, they went through a process of depopulation. And in the insurance business, we talked about that they were trying to find a way to put themselves out of business, because in a perfect world, Citizens insurance would not exist because they're supposed to be the market of last resort. I would say to Commissioner Phillips that his job is to find a way to put the NCAA out of business and formulate some other form of mechanism and oversight for the quote unquote big schools. Uh, Now, that may be a little redundant and a little little bit self-serving and maybe a little bit stupid, but uh, that would be what I would ask him to do. Your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are where they have been for a long time, Keith. Somebody needs to look out for the good of the sport instead of looking out for the good of themselves, which is what every conference does. And the only way you can get there is if you get a commissioner. But whatever the governing body is, it'll be ridiculed just as much as the NCAA is. But you need to have somebody that sets some parameters. And I've long been in, in favor of, you know this, Keith, having more consistent officiating from league to league, 
you don't need to even call them conference refs, even if they do work regionally. They're just they're national refs so that you you eliminate some of the perception of bias. And more than that, you enforce holding the same way, whether it's a game at Texas or a game at FSU, because that's always bugged me. But beyond that, you could you could add more consistency to, to who you're playing or how many conference games are played. And I know that that one may be a battle you're not going to win because the SEC was 16 schools in a couple of years. They're going to pick whatever they number they want, but you could make a decision about whether you're going to play FCS schools. I just think it would be better for the game if somebody was actually looking out for the, for the good of the whole instead of just looking out for themselves. Well, I think we have to be fair, uh, although it won't last very long. I'll get over it. But the NCAA had great success and has enjoyed great success with the basketball tournament because they made smaller schools, the lesser schools, have an opportunity to play. You got Cinderella's, you had stories, but basketball is played with five kids at the time. It's not played with 11 kids or in the case of uh, the way college game is now, 24 kids if you count both sides and, and the two kickers. So uh, it's a different animal. And trying to have Texas do the same thing that Texas Abilene, you know, Texas uh, at Austin do the same thing that Texas Abilene does just doesn't make sense. So there's got to be, and I hate saying this because I'm one of the guys that, you know, I've had to change my spots, but we've got to get to a situation where there is an upper echelon and they play by their own rules and that um, everybody else plays by a different set of rules. They, they can be very and should be very similar, but they need to be different. I do think it'll be curious to see where the other conferences land in terms of the playoff expansion. I, I was all in favor of it. And it's not that I'm opposed to it now, and it has nothing to do with the SEC is going to get more schools in. I mean, they're the, the conference most likely to get two in in a four-team playoff, even though the ACC had two last year. And if it's an eight-team playoff, the SEC is more likely to get more potentially. But, but for me, it's more about the dollars, which is what I've been worried about with Florida State. We've talked about this ad nauseum, the ACC payout compared to SEC. But if you start getting to four, five, six teams from one conference in, and that payout is an extra – 10 million per playoff team to the conference versus so 60 million versus 10 million to the ACC. That's even more money in the richer getting richer. So I'm, I'm, I'm not quite as on board with going right to 12, but I, I just, I'm curious if the conferences will take a pause. Well, I am. Uh, although uh, recent days I've read some articles about how the negotiations with the networks may change if you go to eight versus 12 and whether there's only ESPN negotiating, whether CBS comes back or Fox or someone else, and you actually get them competing with each other, that's above my pay raise, uh, pay grade rather. But I will tell you that one of the things that has dawned on me, and I'll, I'll be interested in your comment. You know, if there's a, if there's going to be a $10 million or let, let's say there's a $15 million discrepancy between what the SEC plays and the ACC plays, if the discrepancy is 45 million versus 30 million, okay, that's a far different scenario than if the discrepancy is 80 million versus 65 million. You follow what I'm saying? I do. Words, but that, that dollar amount is significant, but as a percentage of a larger pie, it diminishes somewhat. Your point's still valid, but there is some legitimacy to as the pie gets bigger, those differences get a little smaller in the, in the net dollar amounts. It's a good point, but the discrepancy is not going to be just 15 million, but, but I your, agree. your point stands, it's more likely to get to 70 or 80 for the sec and top out at 45, 50 for the ACC, unless they find a, 
a money tree somewhere in green. Maybe that's why they keep the office in Greensboro. Is there a money tree there we don't know about? I'm not aware of it. And I think, I think George Washington chopped it down and couldn't tell a lie. Exactly right. Hey, this is totally off subject, but I saw that Pat Robinson uh, retired from the NFL. Do you remember Pat Robinson, the DB from FSU? Oh, gosh, that makes me feel old because he's a good, what, 35 years younger than we are? Well, speak for yourself, but here's the point <laughs> to it. Now, he didn't have, he wasn't an NFL all pro, all decade, anything like that, but he played 11 years in the league, so he's fully vested. Any idea how much how much money his contracts uh, totaled, Keith? In his 11 years, is basically been, he's been a nickel nickel corner, I think, for much of his career. Maybe he's been a starter. I would go 22, 22 million. No, it's north of 30. North of wow. 30, guaranteed. And you know you're sitting good when you've got 2.6 on the books for this year and you just walk away during training camp. Like in week one, you're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just going to, I'm going to hang it up now. Wow. I mean, well, good shoot. For him. Good for 2. him. 2.6, 600 was, was just if he made the roster. So if he hangs on five more weeks, he gets another 600K. But anyway. He was, he was all right. That's uh, Tom Block money. That's Tom and Laura Block money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're dreaming, Keith. <laughs> I, I'm just going to let you know now, as much as I like you, if that was Tom and Laura Block money, I wouldn't be spending an hour of my week with you doing this podcast. That's the, the overriding thing our listeners are familiar with. You'll know <laughs> that I have won the lottery because you will never hear me again. <laughs> exactly right. We'll wrap up, folks. Uh, Ten to one on Friday. Coach Bowden lies in honor at the old Capitol. Two to seven, he'll lie in repose at the Moore Athletic Center, and then the services are at eleven at the Tucker Center on Saturday, with the doors opening at uh, nine thirty. It is being live streamed at uh, on Seminoles.com. If you're if you're not able to attend, or if that's the option you want to choose, Keith, I know you'll be there, and uh, we're we're about out of time, but I'll let you close things out here with a final thought. It'll be a celebration, Tommy. My good friend and former teammate Bobby Butler will be one of the two officiants. There'll be a number of kids that are speaking. I say kids. These are, you know, Charlie Ward and, and uh, Deion Sanders and whoever else is there. Mark Rick will be there. It'll be a celebration. There'll be a cheer or two, but it'll be a celebration. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We appreciate you tuning into Front Row Knowles 12 to 1 every Wednesday right here on Real Talk 93.3 and subscribe to the podcast. Till next week. Have a great week and go Knowles.